Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. The other day, <clears throat> I was thinking about vampires. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, vampires, the undead things that come back to life. Um, you know, they stay up all night, they sleep during the day, drink blood, all that stuff. And um, they're kind of interesting because they're dead. They don't die again, right? Um, and they have some weaknesses like garlic or sunlight or fire or silver or holy relics, um, you know, depending on what mythology you pick, um, you know, a stake in the heart. But other than that, they're pretty much invulnerable. Now, I admit this is a weird way to start a sermon. Um, but I was thinking about it, and, and then I was thinking, like, well, you know the weird thing about vampires and, you know, even other undead things like ghouls and skeletons and zombies or what have you, um, is when a person dies and they turn into one of these things, they stop going to work, you know? They don't go back to work. They don't go back to the office, and uh, they don't worry about a, a, a cooking dinner. Like, no, nope. And uh, they don't worry about going shopping or anything like that. That life is over for them. They have some different priorities, right? They need to get blood or, you know, eat brains or something. Um, but they don't go back to their old life and their old jobs. Uh, they don't crawl out of the grave and start going into the office. I mean, it'd be really weird if they did. And, and, and you know, this is obviously all fictional. And, you know, this is just me daydreaming. But, um, but there's, there, there is something to that idea. If you're given the second life, it's not supposed to be like that first one, right? It's not supposed to be like that first one. Um, if you come back from the dead, there's, there, there's supposed to be a reason, right? You don't come back just to live your old life. Um, you don't, you know, if you ever watch a vampire movie or, or read a, you know, a book with vampires, you know, no vampire ever crawls out of the grave and then, you know, hurries home to watch Netflix. It's just not, not usually what the way it goes. Um, no one says a vampire and says, that's the same old Gary, you know? It, no, they don't. Um, if they know this Gary, the vampire, they're like, he is so different. He's, he's scary, right? And even though Gary the vampire might look like the old Gary, um, and every, everyone that sees him will know that he is not the same guy that they used to know. Now, I probably thought about this illustration because of my years of working with youth and decades of reading you know, fantasy and horror novels, but, um, but you do see similarity to the Christian life in this. When you follow Christ, the old self dies, and there made a new self, a new self, a new life with a new way of living. Uh, this is the, I'm not sure if it's the last, but it's kind of the last um, of a little mini-series I'm doing called In the Flesh, uh, which is part of our larger study of going through Colossians. Um, and in the first part, we looked at the body, right? The importance of a body, you know, especially since Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus came in the human body. And the second, we looked at how the things of this world will never be able to transcend our, our body. This world will never make you more than you um, because you can't save you. Now, this week, we're going to look at what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean that Jesus allows us to participate in his death and resurrection? So we're a new person, a new flesh, back from the dead. What does that mean? What changes? 
How now should we live? So that's all the background. With that, let's read Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you are raised with Christ, look for the things that are above, where Christ is sitting at God's right side. Think about the things above and not things on earth. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed to him in glory. So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things, but now set aside these things, such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by the conforming, by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbians, barbarian, not barbian, um, be different. Um, bar barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Now, what, one of the main problems with the church in Colossae was they had a hard time trusting that Jesus saved them. They just had a hard time trusting that. They're like, oh, I'm supposed to be saved, but maybe I should do this. And it's, it's the same problem a lot of us have. Do we really believe that we're freed from our sins, that our sin nature is dead? And this is just a good time for us to define sin. Sin's anything in thought, word, and deed that does not conform to the will and purposes of God. And the effect of sin is turning away from God, all right? And, and God is both creator and sustainer, the source of life. So turning away from God is turning away from life, right? It's death. And sin can be active as it's just something you do, right? You can sin, but it also can be passive. It can be something that's done to you, right? Somebody can sin against you. And so we're all affected by sin. We're all affected by sin. And all of creation, including all of humanity, suffers under the weight of that sin, but Jesus, Jesus redeems, restores, and renews. He's forgiving, healing, and cleansing us from all sin, remaking us into the way that God originally intended, to be in full relationship with God, one another, and even creation. And this harkens back to uh, Colossians 2, 13 through 14. When you were dead because of the things you had done wrong and because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. He destroyed the record of debt we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. We are not really alive without Jesus. We're dead because sin, this wrongness, the way that things are not supposed to be, all that stuff pulls us away from the Creator and His designs and His hopes for us. Right? We, we, we put distance between ourselves and the source of life. But when we follow him, when we follow him in baptism, that sin is cut away, right? In baptism, our old self is buried and the new self is brought up. And, and using uh, my somewhat silly analogy from before, um, Gary the vampire doesn't come back to dead to go back to the office, right? Gary the vampire comes to live a new life with his new needs, 
blood. And uh, we are a new person. We are a new flesh. We are no longer separated from God. And so with our new lives, we should fix our attention, our focus, our very selves on Christ, who is the visible image of the invisible God. That old self is dead, right? The old sin self never, no longer has any claims on us. Uh, the Colossians, they were involved in all sorts of practices that tried to master the flesh, that tried to discipline themselves. They were really into discipline. How can I discipline my body? How can I really achieve the best? They did extreme fasts. Like, you know, to, I just need to be morally clear, right? So I'm just going to starve myself. Um, they, they, they practiced Jewish cultural practices that were not required for Gentiles, right? But they, they opted into them. Um, they, they turned their faith from one that was fixed on, fixated on Jesus to what uh, the author uh, Dallas Willard called the gospel of sin management. The gospel of sin management. The focus of their lives became managing sin. How can I manage this bad behavior, right? Now, the problem with sin management is you can't manage death. Death is unmanageable. You can't. If you could, you wouldn't need Jesus in the first place. That's the whole point. So don't keep fixating on death. Focus on life. Focus on the source of life. Uh, verse 5 in this section is, so put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Notice the verse doesn't say, uh, manage your sexual immorality. It doesn't. Um, when I was a young man, I remember this is just a youth group conversation that young men often have, right? Like, where is the line when you cross into sexual immorality? Where, where, where exactly is that? Um, how far is too far to, get, to be intimate, right? That's always a question that you have when you're dating. Like, how, how, how far? You know, after all, true love waits and all that stuff. But, um, you know, so let's not have sex, but let's really define what sex is so we can find that line. How legalistic. What folly. Um, you know, when I was young, I, all I thought about was how do I manage sin, right? What can I get away with and still be okay and still be good? And, it, and I, that's not just sex, right? That's, that's alcohol. How many drinks until I'm drunk? Not just a little buzz, but just, you know, drunk. After all, drink, drunkenness is a sin, and there's alcohol in the Bible, so, like, when exactly is a person drunk? It's always about trying to figure out what's that exact line. Or, or what does the Bible say about drugs, right? I mean, right, I knew that, like, some drugs were really bad, but, like, pot, you know? Um, shrooms, those grow naturally. So, like, how much can you do? Is that okay? Um, especially now, right? Pot's legal. It was all about trying to find the loopholes. It was always about trying to find the loopholes and trying to manage sin how to get to the edge of whatever behavior I wanted to engage in. It was never about Jesus. It's always trying to get to the edge of that bad behavior. And let me tell you from personal experience, you can have your heart broken without having sex. You can. You can still feel used without sex. 
You can feel hurt and broken. You can hurt other people. Managing sexual immorality, it just doesn't work. Managing greed just doesn't work. Managing moral corruption just doesn't work. It's idolatry. And, and idolatry is a big word. Um, it's a big word I think that sometimes we have a hard time understanding in our modern context. But the simple definition is idolatry is giving authority, right, authority, something that you give weight to, to speak into your life that isn't Jesus. Jesus is the authority. So Ephesians 1, 20 through 21. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him on God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power that might be named, not now, not only now, but in the future. Managing sin puts the focus on the wrong things. It gives the wrong things authority in our lives. It allows what is dead, the old self, to be in control of what is living, the new self. And, um, and when I say that the old sinful self is dead, I, I mean it. I mean it. It's dead. It will not give you life. Stop focusing on it so much. Um, stop giving it all power and authority in your life. And to be clear, I, I'm not saying like, you know, this... This, you know, this isn't licensed to sin, you're right? So yes, lust is okay. Sexual immorality is not okay. Um, greed's not okay. Evil desires are not okay. But our focus isn't on controlling those evil desires. We aren't, you know, trying to run away from them, you know, kind of looking back behind us to see how close they are to catch us. Instead, we're to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit, right? We're to pray to the Father, to look to the Son, Right? We, we, we look ahead, not behind us. Right? Uh, the active part of our faith is not the management of sin. It's engaging in spiritual practices. It's engaging in spiritual practices. It's committing to a community. It's, it's, it's serving the last, the least, and the most vulnerable. It's being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's where your focus should be. That's where our focus should be. It's kind of like um, riding a mountain bike. Okay, if you ride a mountain bike downhill, you need to focus on the road ahead of you. Right? You're going fast. You, know, you, you, you don't look around. You don't look to the left or the right. You focus on the trail. Because when you lose sight of the trail, that's when you get, get in trouble. Because where you look is kind of where you end up kind of turning. So keep your eyes on the trail. Remember, the wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. Now, um, that might sound hard, harsh. Um, God's wrath is a side effect of his love. It's just part of his love. And when you say God's wrath is coming, it isn't like an angry father that's coming home to beat his disobedient kids. It's a king who is coming to fix the injustice being done to his people. Sin is death, and, and, and it never just affects itself. Because for every wrong done, there, there is a victim. Even if the victim's you know, the environment or, or even our own hardened hearts, there's always a victim in regards to sin. 
It destroys relationships. And that's what verses 7 through 9 gets into, how, how sin destroys relationship. You used to live in this way when you were alive to such things, but now set aside these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Um, just, just, you know, obscene language, I, I don't like that a phrase. Um, I think the better translation is, um, is abusive language, because that's what it really is in, in Greek, abusive language, speech that's meant to cause shame and hurt into another person. It's not about four-letter words, okay? Um, so abusive language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices. Take it off. The wrath of God is coming because God doesn't put up with abusers. He doesn't put up with abuse. He doesn't put up with those that use and hurt other people. God doesn't put up with people that talk bad about other people behind his back. Right? It's because God loves. Uh, this is Jeremiah 21.12. Execute justice in the morning and deliver the hand Deliver from the hand of the oppressor anyone who has been robbed, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with no one to quench it because of your evil doings. The wrath of God is coming because God hates injustice and is for victims and the oppressed. The wrath of God, the judgment of God, the justice of God are all signs of his manifold love and grace to his people. And, and he's king, and he will protect and defend his kingdom. That's who he is. That, that's what a good king does. And he'll take, care of his, he'll take care of the sin. That's his job. That's not our job. We have another purpose, to learn how to live and to participate in his kingdom. That's what God's called us to. So instead of focusing on sin, instead of trying to manage and master sin, we need to learn how to love mercy. We need to learn how to repent how to accept the grace of God. We need to practice living like Jesus because you have been given a new life in him. Your body has been redeemed. Your flesh has been made new. You are dead and you've come back to life. Don't go back to the old life. Turn your eyes towards Jesus. Let me pray. Holy Father, you are life. You are our life. You are our hope. You are our joy. Lord, and I pray that we can remember that, that we can conform ourselves to your likeness, Lord. Lord, teach us to, to be a people of repentance a people of love, a people who strive to be like you. And Lord, we trust that, um, that sin will be dealt with by you. The sin in our lives, Lord, and the sin in this world we trust that you're good enough, you're big enough, you're strong enough for it all. In Christ's name, amen.